0: Good evening. Welcome to Pernobaptist Chapel for the service um, on Wednesday, the 24th of February. Tonight, I'm joined by Dave Roberts. Dave's been here at PBC since Pim and I came, actually, in 2006. Dave, you're married to Yongmi. How many years have you been married?
1: 26 now.
0: 26 years. Well, congratulations, Dave, and congratulations, Yongmi, as well. Now, um, Dave runs Partake Ministries or Partakers as it's now known. So if you go to partakers.co.uk, uh, you can see loads of great uh, resources on there that get accessed by people all around the world. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people, I know Dave, who have, have accessed that material. So praise God for that. Well, I'm going to hand over to Dave, who's going to be um, preaching tonight. And you're going to start with a word of prayer. So Dave, over to you. Uh, please do leave your Bibles open at but- passage in 1
1: corinthians 8 and that way you can check if what i am saying matches what is written and you may very well at first think that this passage at least on the very surface of it has little or no relevance to today but as we go on hopefully we'll find that it does indeed have something for god to speak into our lives today but first let's pray Father God, as we commence, give us ears to hear you speak to us. O Father, as we come to your written word, keep our eyes and our minds awakened by your spirit so that we can engage with and learn more about your living word, Jesus Christ, and apply that learning to our lives so that you will receive all the glory and honour which is due your name. Amen. Ancient Corinth was one of the largest, wealthiest, and therefore most important cities of the ancient world. It had a large mixed population of Greeks, Romans and Jews. The streets of Corinth were lined with temples to all manner of Greek gods. Not only Greek gods, but also because Greece was now under the Roman Empire, temples paying homage to Roman gods. This, of course, included those giving homage and worship to the Roman Emperor, who at the time this letter was written was probably the Emperor Nero. More than that, some of the Greek gods were merged with Roman gods in order to make new gods, and therefore more temples were constructed. In these temples, sacrifices were made to appease these gods and were acts of worship to and of them. For if the gods were not appeased, then it was thought that all manner of things may happen to a person internally and externally for the gods would be angry and send their demons and spirits to inflict all manner of ill upon a person and their family and friends the meat from these sacrifices was then in part given to be eaten by the priest conducting the sacrifice and the rest sold to the general public for consumption we see therefore from a christian perspective Corinth was a city deeply immersed in idolatry and immorality. What of the church there in the midst of such a place? Paul had helped start the church about six years ago. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18.
0: Reading from verse 1 to 3. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up those who think they know something do yet not know what they ought to know but whoever loves God is known by God with all that in mind we start with a question from verse 1 to eat
1: or not to eat that is the question that's the question before us and being asked of Paul They were saying, Paul, what is a follower of Jesus Christ to do concerning food which has been offered as a sacrifice of worship to idols and false gods? Can that meat be eaten by the Christian or must they refuse to eat such food? If other people, such as our neighbors who are not Christian, invite me, a Corinthian Christian, to a community banquet where meat which may have been offered to idols is on the menu, what am I to do? Can I eat that meat? or should I politely refuse to eat it, knowing that such an act may very well make my hosts angry and embarrass them, filling them with shame? That is indicative of the problem being faced here. In fact, Paul mentions it again later in 1 Corinthians 10, which we look at in a few weeks' time. And there are seemingly two groups at play here, a strict group and a more liberated group, the stricter group, perhaps those from a Jewish background, claiming some great and special knowledge about the issue, saying, no, don't you even dare eat it. You'll be guilty of idolatry. Do not touch, do not taste. You'll be condemning yourself to a life without God if you do this. The more liberated group of Christians, perhaps those from a more Gentile background, also claiming to be endowed with some special knowledge, can be heard saying, "I'll oh, go for it don't worry be free we've got secret knowledge which makes us immune to the effects of the meat the offered meat won't hurt you we share this knowledge openly with you and these two groups were playing one upmanship between themselves and this was going on to hurt other Christians particularly new converts to Christianity and Paul as ever pretty much says well you know what folks you're both wrong It's love that truly matters. It isn't a negative and legalistic knowledge, nor is it a permissive knowledge or even some so-called secret knowledge. Now, let's be clear as we start. Paul isn't dismissing knowledge per se, because as we know from his other writings, he exhorts the Christian to build their knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Just as Matthew Skirton encouraged in the morning service on February 14th paul's main concern is that an agape love should control and be indicative of that knowledge knowledge and growing in knowledge in and of itself is important and we all possess some but on its own without it being controlled by love and being in submission to love knowledge is of worthless and is of no value the christian is to be controlled by love filled with love as they grow in the knowledge of god to love god in response to his love for us in and through his son jesus christ is essential and is the beginning of getting to know god more fully it's the start of perfecting our knowledge of him and growing our devotional intimacy with him have you indeed started this adventure of knowing god and letting yourself be fully known by him it's not too late in these first three verses paul says you have the knowledge but you're all puffed up because of that knowledge. You think you know about this issue, but you don't in reality. Go and love others because that builds up the other person rather than puffing up your own ego. Really love others. Don't pretend, for whoever loves is known by God. The knowledge you are insisting upon being obeyed concerning this matter is puffing you up with pride and all other manner of ills. It's making you haughtily arrogant, conceited, and condescending towards others as you look down upon them. This special knowledge you have concerning the food sacrificed to idols and the religious origins of that meat will achieve nothing to build up and encourage the faith of other Christian believers, particularly the new believers.
0: So verses 4-6 to So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no one but God. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or indeed, and as indeed there are many gods, many lords, inverted commas, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live.
1: Now to verse four. So first of all, love others deeply. You have a special knowledge concerning food and idols, but that in and of itself will achieve no edification for other Christian believers, particularly those who are new believers. Now to where the two groups were partly right in regard to their knowledge concerning the partaking of food, Sacrifice to idols. The gods the meat was offered to as a sacrifice are nothing, mere nothings. These many gods and lords are mere idols made of stone, iron, and wood. The words gods and lords was the vernacular of ancient Greece. These gods and lords, exclaims Paul, are lifeless. Note, Paul calls them so called gods and lords. When they are spoken to, they can't answer back because they are without life. They may indeed be called gods and lords, but that doesn't mean that they are gods and lords in reality. They are born from the figment of the human imagination. For instance, the Greek goddess Aphrodite was said to be created from the foam from the ocean around Cyprus. So this goddess is a created being. And all those gods are born from the imagination of mere men and women and are not actually not based on actuality, reality and fact. However, for us Christians, Paul continues, we know in actuality, reality and fact that there is but one God and one alone, this great God, the Father who created all things, including our very beings and for whom we have decided to dedicate our lives to living for alone. There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, from whom all things came for who we live for. Jesus is the one mediator and one way to God the Father. Paul talks about Jesus in this way throughout this letter, as we have seen and will continue to see, as well as in his other writings. Therefore, as mere pieces of wood, stone, and iron, these so-called gods cannot be appeased by sacrifice. Why? For they are without life and therefore can have no direct influence over your life. Indeed, Christians at the time of this letter were often called atheists because Christians had no statues or images to be worshiped, unlike the Greek and Roman gods. Verses seven to eight.
0: But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols. Oh, sorry, let start again. Verses seven to eight. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, we are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do.
1: In verse 7, Paul continues by stating that not everyone knows this concerning gods and idols. Both the strict group and the liberated group know it well, but some Christians were lacking this knowledge, particularly the new believers. Those new believers were used to eating such food sacrificed to gods and idols, and they think that the food is tainted, contaminated and defiled because of it. People's belief in the fakes gods had a lot of influence. Although the God is not real, it was deemed to be real. They would save an idol. That's Zeus. That's Athena. Oh, look how beautiful Aphrodite is. And believed that that God was there. Ergo, the imaginary gods exerted a lot of influence, which is actually just people's reactions to what they imagine to be a God. Why do they think that? Because their conscience is weak and defiled. We know that since there are no other gods or idols, that they are merely lifeless blocks of wood or stone, that any food sacrificed to them is totally edible, will not defile or taint, And it makes not a lot of difference to you spiritually. A question for us now. What is the conscience Paul is referring to here? I'm sure you are aware that the conscience is a person's moral awareness or consciousness. Each person has a conscience. I'm sure we've all had the feelings of a guilty conscience at one point or another, haven't we? The conscience responds when actions, inactions, thoughts, or words comply with, or disagree with a moral standard of right and wrong. The conscience describes the aspect of each human's self-awareness and is part of their internal capability, capacity, and nature to be rational. It's a critical inner awareness which testifies to the morality and values which are recognized and applicable to human existence. The conscience is that sense of guiltiness before God, which can become clear before God. We all have one, we've all heard it speak to us, regardless of whether we listen to it or ignore it. The conscience serves the underlying value and moral system of any individual, including, of course, all Christians. The conscience is a co-knowledge and a witness by which we can know how God wants us to react or respond to any given situation we find ourselves in the weak conscience of a Christian believer can be compelled through a poor lack of understanding and knowledge regarding scriptural truths and God's moral code in turn this weak conscience can produce feelings of inadequacy guilt and embarrassment in the Christian believer it can become hardened insensitive and callous And as the Christian believer grows in the knowledge of God, matures as a believer, their conscience becomes stronger and in line with God. The conscience is being rehabilitated, renewed and refined as it softens and becomes more sensitive under the work of the Holy Spirit. That is where we are with our passage in 1 Corinthians 8. As we have seen, it makes no difference if food eaten has been sacrificed to idols or not, alas, Those who thought idols really existed and were weak in their understanding of Christian thought had weak consciences because their consciences were given in to erroneous prejudices and superstitious drivel. Those who were mature and of strong conscience were to treat those with a weakened conscience with true love and compassion and not to look down upon them with a puffed up ego and look of disdain. The same is today, is it not? Verses 9 to 11.
0: Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge now we have a warning from paul starting in verse 9.
1: it matters not to god what kinds of food are consumed why for the kingdom of god is not about mere meat and drink however warns paul be careful that the exercise of your liberty your freedom and your rights does not injure anybody else as far as conscience is concerned All foods can be eaten because God allows all food to be eaten. However, this freedom is to be subordinate to love. The knowledge of both the two groups in the Corinthian church, the strict group and the more liberated group, therefore was defective. Food doesn't recommend a person to God, but love indeed does. Knowledge bloats, but love builds up therefore Paul continues make sure your liberty your freedoms your rights do not become a stumbling block to those with a weak conscience how does this stumbling block exist it is patently clear in verse 10 if those with a weak conscience see you with all your knowledge which is puffing you up eating food sacrificed to idols in the courts of that idol's temple will not that person with a weakened conscience also desire then to eat food sacrificed to idols and being emboldened to go do so what is the consequence of this then verse 11 upon eating the food sacrificed to idols the christian believer with the weakened conscience is destroyed by the knowledge of those two groups the strict and the free why because the christian believer with the weakened conscience as acted in opposition to their conscience, weak though it be. The weakened believer has slipped back into the old way of life, the way of idolatry and paganism. Why? Because the mature Christian believer wanted to eat in the temple court and partake of foods sacrificed to idols. Verses
0: 12 to 13. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul continues in verse 12,
1: saying that those with puffed up knowledge have sinned against the person with a weakened conscience. Paul cries out, not only sinned against the person, but also sinned against Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and their Lord in exercising your precious rights and freedoms you have sinned against the very one who gave you your life that is jesus whom you live through and live in that weakened brother or sister was also brought at a great price by jesus to the praise of god the father just as you were oh you foolish corinthian how contemptible you are such open contempt for your weakened brother or sister It's a great insult to the Christ you claim to follow and have knowledge of. Did Paul ever write words stronger than these? This would not have been a hypothetical situation and more than likely it happened in the church already, quite possibly often. Hence, they're asking Paul's advice regarding the matter. Some young believers have probably been destroyed and fallen back into old ways of life. It's an easy step from eating the food sacrificed to idols, to going back and worshipping the false idols themselves and retreating back to familiar patterns. Paul continues, therefore, and tells them what he would do in the same situation. If by eating meat sacrificed to idols, I knowingly cause another believer to fall into sin, then it is better that I never eat such meat again, so as not to sin against them sin against Christ and so they will not fall back into old ways of living that is what I would do go and do likewise I'll make no use of my liberty rights and freedom to cause another believer to stumble and cause offense to the weak let those who are strong help the weak encourage them love them build them up so that they too may grow into maturity and wisdom Paul is seeking to protect the conscience of the weak believers but not because they were correct or that their view should always be tolerated. No if the strong were to compel the weak to conform against their conscience even if they are wrong they would destroy the process of conviction that God has in place to work with them through the indwelling Holy Spirit. While a person's judgment may indeed be wrong from a godly viewpoint that person must be allowed to be corrected gently with the right information to pursue maturity without outside manipulation and in the timing of God, the Holy Spirit. How long does this go on for? How long are the weak to be put up with? Let's think of the conscience as a finely tuned moral instrument, telling the person what is right, what is wrong. Like most instruments, It is sensitive and can easily malfunction. Can you imagine an instrument like a compass malfunctioning and sending you to the West when you really want to go to the East? That is symbolic of the work of a weak conscience. Those with a weak conscience are to be worked with until they have had the opportunity to learn the correct way, and it becomes a new conviction with them. This may well take time and patience for the conscience to be re-educated and retrained. That is part of the work of the Holy Spirit who lives within all believers. It's in his timing and not our own. However, if the person consistently refuses to obey, consistently refuses to learn or mature, then then it is probably not weakness, but rather something more akin to arrogance and belligerence. And because of that, the matter therefore comes under a whole different manner of engagement. And all of this applies to each of us, regardless of how long we've been a Christian believer. Each of us have our strong points and our weak points. How is God helping you to overcome your weaknesses, including those regarding your conscience? How are you, if you consider yourself strong and mature, loving others at their points of weakness and immaturity? And if you need help to overcome your weaknesses then seek help particularly from the pastoral and leadership team here at pbc with all that said let's quickly conclude each person who has ever lived is born separated from god and with a self-centered and self-pleasing nature which is inherently counter to god once you become a christian believer though that nature is replaced with a new God-pleasing and God-centered nature how did that occur when God's son Jesus Christ died on the cross and as the Christian believer has a new nature they are no longer separated from God because of that old nature we have a new nature as a Christian and that makes a huge difference God has taken care of our past and he no longer holds us in against us so you and I are now able to relate to God previously you and I were not like that and so we were far away and unable to relate to God as a Christian you now have a new spiritual nature to help you in your struggle against sin and your tendency to disobey the God who is now your king and master sin and disobedience results from our old natures refusing to lie down We are not left alone, though, because God has put his Holy Spirit within us and the more you and I allow him to control us, to fill us, the stronger our new nature becomes. Why do I say that? What has all this got to do with this passage? Because that new nature includes our consciences. Our consciences are being refined to match that which is strong, is glorifying and honouring to God rather than weak, self-pleasing and self-honouring. Our consciences, which may have been hardened, callous and insensitive, will become stronger and in line with God as we grow obediently in the knowledge of God and mature as believers. Our consciences become rehabilitated, renewed and refined as they are softened and grow more sensitive under the work of the Holy Spirit. Is that indicative of your experience with God and life in God through Jesus Christ? Paul in our series so far has been talking about relationships, rights and wrongs with relationships, relationships with others, relationships with spouse and family. And last time in this evening series, we heard about relationship with God. Today, we can see an aspect of the relationship that exists between Christians. For each of us who claim to be Christian are in relationship with each other, whether we want to be or not. Are we truly loving each other as we ought therefore? What in our lives may be knowingly hindering other believers and causing them to stumble in their faith or indeed fall away from faith? As Christian believers, we live in God the Father, for in God's Son, Jesus Christ, All things have come and through whom we live and have our very being as his disciples. God has placed his Holy Spirit within you to seal you as his child and to unite all Christian believers as Christian family. From the strong to the weak, Jesus Christ, whom we are in, has died for all. When we cause others to stumble, particularly knowingly stumble and fall, We sin not only against them, but also sin against the very Jesus we claim to live in, live through, and who died for us. Again, hard words of Paul. As Christians, we died with Jesus. As Christians, we are raised with Jesus. As Christians, we live in, with, and through Jesus because we belong to Jesus Christ. As Christians, we will one day be glorified with Jesus. When Jesus Christ is revealed in glory, as Christians, we also will be revealed in glory. What an amazing day that will be! Wow! Will that include you? I know that I know that I know that this includes me. Oh, what a wonderful God we serve together. Knowing all that, let's submit all knowledge that we have, using it for good under the banner of love. Let's go and love all other believers and show love practically to them in all manner of ways. A phone call, a message, a letter, a gift, a bunch of flowers. As Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other and show that love towards each other. Amazing, isn't it? And what kind of love is it? It is an agape love as the word used by Paul here. That word agape is used more in the Bible than other texts from ancient times. So agape love is taken to be a love which is peculiar to Christianity, a love that is sacrificial and selfless. Does that describe the love you have for other believers? All other Christians? Indeed, all other people? It's a love that is a giving of one's very self in order that the Christian is of service to other people, regardless of any relationship between them or none a service which is also an act of worship to God. The Christian is to love others like this, echoing the very way that God loved and continues to love the Christian, indeed all people of all countries and of all time, past, present, future. The Christian should be so filled and magnetised with God's love and grace that it is a magnetic attraction to others of God's majestic goodness and love. And can we run out of this type of love? No! Why? Because it is always topped up by the grace of the God we love, adore and worship and through whom we live and have life itself. Can you imagine what our communities and our country would be like if all we Christians truly lived and loved like that? Let's imagine it and work towards it. And finally, you may not yet be a Christian believer. Remember when I said earlier that some ancient Greeks called Christians atheists because the Christians had no images to be worshipped? Well, they were wrong. Christians do have an image of God, but not one made of wood or stone, which is lifeless and silent. No, Christians worship Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus really existed in history. There is only one true and living God and Jesus Christ the Son of God is the only way to God there is no other way Jesus is not silent and he is willing to take you as his own so you can live in him and through him because he died for you he loves you amazingly he's speaking to you now may you have ears to hear can you hear him will you make that step to follow him please do get in contact with us here at PBC and we would love to talk to you more about this Jesus Christ let's pray father thank you once again for your written word thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we may uh, grow in relationship with you may we Christians be known for the love that we have for each other and so that you are glorified in our lives and people may come to know you through Jesus because of the love that we've shown to other people. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. If you've got any questions, then please do contact us via the website panabaptistchapel.org.uk or give us a call. Um, Please do join us um, next Wednesday evening as we continue our series in 1 Corinthians and on next Sunday morning. Um, We're going to have the final uh, part of our well-being series from 10 o'clock also on YouTube. So God bless for now from me and from...
1: Hey, see you later.
0: (laughs) Bye. (laughs)